thinking about uh, Paul's letters to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians in the New Testament, one of called let, the letters, the epistles. In the evening, we're uh, looking, reading through, seeking to understand the prophet Isaiah, which chapter 11 tonight, if you fancy coming along. So uh, just, uh, just a little bit before we get to, to chapter 5, verse 21, if you want to find that, I um, encourage you to to dust off your Bibles. I'm sure they're undusty, but uh, bring them on. They'll be on the screen too. I have to say, this is one of those passages that uh, Phil graciously gave to me. <laughs> You'll see why in a minute. And uh, I have to say that none of us sit with this passage and go, yeah, fine. This is all sorted in my life that we do believe as, as Christians that the Bible is authoritative for us, the scriptures are to shape our lives, they reveal Jesus, and that his word is good and helpful and stirs our life. So all of us may feel uncomfortable as we read this. Take a big breath. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is for us and loves to reshape us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Deep breath. Parents, in the Lord, therefore that is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction in the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. 
And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we thank you for for these scriptures. They are good. Some parts of the Bible we find a bit harder sometimes, maybe more obscure. But I guess each one of us has heard, because all of us are children of someone. Many are parents, many are wives or husbands, and all of us in some way have a work context. And all of us are part of this family. And the rubber hits the road when we hear that first verse, submit to one another out of reverence or fear for Christ. I pray that as I speak from these texts, you'd help me to make sense. And Holy Spirit, you'd make the connections into each and every person's life here. We all need your grace. We all need your help. None of us are perfect. But I pray that we tend our ear and even at the outset lean into your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world where we find it hard to submit. I think perhaps more so currently. Perhaps lots of reasons. Particularly, I'm talking about British culture, Western culture. Focuses on the self, on the myself. Often to the expense or not the detriment, but to, to sort of say, well, other people come secondarily. And so when we hear those opening words in in verse 21, and and I'll just uh, refer to them again in a moment, but submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's it's like a big speed bump in the road, or it catches in your throat. I suspect there are many people here for whom that has become a practice and it is easier, but for many of us, it is also a challenge. Why? Because we live in, a, in an age and a world and a context which doesn't want to do this. Submission is seen as weakness, of being the doormat, of, uh, of not being the right way. Stand your ground, assert your rights. And so when Paul was writing, and, and as we read these in the context in a moment, which I'll describe some of them, we find it, it's, it, it is like we're getting splinters because we know with, how to go with the flow and to start to do things differently brings tension. It, this applies in all sorts of ways. That our world and our culture are living 
is at odds often with the call and the mandate of Jesus and what it means to be his follower. Put it in the context of violence and conflict. And the world will never know lasting peace as long as people reserve for war the finest of human qualities. We heard in the funeral of John McCain, some of those being described of heroism, of being a man of the times, of being a great exemplar. And indeed, yes. But peace no less than war requires idealism and self-sacrifice and a righteous and dynamic faith. Blessed are the peacemakers. Put it in the context of a, a local church. Submission is hard. We're delighted and, and fortunate uh, that one of the comments often heard is we're, we're, when people come to our church and uh, join with us and at newcomers lunch, often one of the comments we hear is, oh, we're so glad that there doesn't seem to be infighting. There doesn't seem to be like factions and uh, now, we, Phil and I kind of like smiled dutifully and go, if only you knew. Uh, I'm not about to lift the lid on any horrendous kind of calamity. But the re- nature of being people together, called together, is sometimes we rub up against each other. Richard Foster, in his wonderful book, Celebration of Discipline, says, if you will watch these things, you will see, for example, that almost all church fights and splits occur because people do not have the freedom to give in to each other. I like to be right. I know I'm right. Everyone else has got to come to my opinion. I'm sure if you're married, you've had some marital discussions along those lines. Change discussion for whatever other words you might choose to apply. Or if you've got teenagers... Curfew times. Be home by. Have you done your homework yet? This doesn't come easily, but it is really, really important. Now, before we, we, we jump in, and, and it, this is a sermon that I could go on till two o'clock. Yippee! And go through everything, but it's going to be a survey, a summary. I think the general principles I'm hoping to just talk about will, will help in particular in the, the aspects of husbands and wives, parents and children, of, of work relations. I can't go into every nuance of, of this, uh, this text, and there are a lot that are get, getting thrown up. But it's worth remembering that in our uh, Bibles, we, we, we're often kind of put a little gap, and it says instructions for Christian households in my version of the NIV, And the nature of that is it helps us understand, but it can divide it from what has gone before. Just a few verses before, um, Paul has been saying, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in verse 18, do not get drunk or wine leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That it's not that's the nice stuff and now here's the really difficult bits. And let's just close Ephesians here and move on. That Paul's teaching to us is in the context of grace, in the context of gospel, in the context of what Jesus has done and established a new order, a new way of being, a new life. The kingdom of God has come and is coming and we are called into that 
through Jesus. It's all about him making the way. And we live this Christian life being filled and following the Spirit. And as such, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ comes into that. It's worth also noting that, that nothing in, in life, and this, this is where this is really real, Scripture is very, very practical, nothing in life is remote here. This is relevant to who we are, the people we live with, the people we worship with, the people we work with. This applies to us all. I, I had a friend at university, and uh, she's called Laura, and um, she didn't do this literally, but she, she took scissors to Scripture. By that, she would, particularly with Paul, go through the bits of, you know, she'd be reading and say, I don't like that. She'd ignore it. Say, that's just Paul the misogynist, not listening. Don't believe that's what God would say. She believed that Paul was a sexist, repressive male. This is one of the texts she ignored. She thought, how can submission and the role of women be harmonized with this and other texts? I don't believe her way was helpful. Very subjective. And doesn't actually recognize what the scriptures are about. There's lots of issues raised in the text of submit. What does that mean? Why should we do it? What does reverence and fear mean? What about headship? Does headship mean boss, ruler, domineering authority? And even if it meant it then, how does this apply 2,000 and something years or so later? We live in a culture that has liberalized in so many ways. Don't mishear me, many of those advances have been good. But I still think that we do need to hear about marriage, about honorable relationships, about discipleship that is practical, the specter of broken homes which litter our society indicate that our culture hasn't got this right. We mustn't stand in judgment over history and indeed scripture and say they just were backwards and uneducated and of a different time. I do believe that scripture is liberating and revolutionary. I do believe that. And I also know that this is an emotive subject and there's lots of nuances. And before I, I move on to wives and husbands and, and, and all you ladies whip off your stilettos and throw them at me in some fashion, we sit before Scripture. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, is, is a key to spiritual living. That these three aspects of life, marital relationships, parenting and children, and work relationships, all sit and flow from us. The first thing to, to re remember is that Christian life, following Jesus, being a disciple, walking 
as a believer stems from and always comes back to submission to Jesus. Submission to Jesus. In the, the, the verse in Philippians that we read first and foremost, it talked about how we bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you remember that? It's not just words that glibly evaporate. We bow the knee, a statement of humility, a statement of recognition of his greatness and goodness, of his kingship, of his lordship over his life, that we submit to him because he is almighty God. Isn't he? That we submit to one another, not because we are losing our rights, but we submit to one another out of our worship and reverence for Christ Jesus. Indeed, as we've, we read that, this, this passage together, I wonder how often you heard in every example that Paul is teaching the reference to the Lord, to the Lord, to Christ, to Jesus in every aspect of life, of family and of parenting and of uh, even into the work relationship, the Lord is Lord there. He's not just Lord here as we gather or you open your Bible or you have a quiet time. He's Lord of every place that you go, of even the most intimate and profound and lifelong relations that we have, family. He is Lord of. He is Lord over this church gathering, over us as a body of Christ together. He is Lord. And as such, Christian life is never self-serving or self-centered. That's why Paul speaks as he does. And it's worth remembering that this life choice, this way of living, is not legalistic, but comes under the inspiration and the truth that Christ is risen. We've just declared that in song. I hope that you believe that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's our confession of faith, but also our belief in our heart that Christ is raised from the dead. We'll be saved. But what that also means is that we now live in an era and an age and an understanding of resurrected life and power. That, that Jesus is raised and the tomb is empty and makes every difference to every aspect of life. Because he's reigning and ruling all authority in heaven and on earth is his, Yes. And as such, we live in the light of that. The life that he caused us to is now resurrected, a resurrection life. The life that he has called us to and intends. Sometimes we, we so, so dissect the passage that we kind of go, okay, this is about spiritual living, the first parts of chapter 5, and then we take this verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then we will focus on wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and master. A better way is actually recognizing that there's a, a greater thread here going on. So in, in chapter 4, 18 to 21, we, we haven't read it, but we read it before. There is, sorry, in 518 to 21, there is one Greek sentence without breaks, and it includes participles. Those are the inging words. So in, in, at the end of, of chapter 5, verse 18, uh, 19, speaking, there's a participle, to one another in psalms, hymns, and spirituals, singing and making music in your heart to God, giving thanks to God the Father in everything, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
that spiritual living stems and flows from this, that we are caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Worship matters. Our first orientation is to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our worship, our declaration, what comes from within to without, speaking, uttering, making loud that conviction from within. Also singing of making music of giving thanks, and finally submitting to one another. All these are hallmarks of traits of being spirit-filled. If we want to embrace this, what does it mean to submit to one another? It encourages us to keep worshiping. Keep on asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. Because without him, we'll fall far short. Submission is being part, sorry, is an expression of being spirit-filled. Submission is an expression of being spirit-filled, not legalism. And as such, submission is illogical outside of Jesus. You know this, that that the example of Jesus from Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 your, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Remember we, we spoke of that? It seemed a bit of a funny verse to start with, but intentionally I chose that for this morning. Our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be, but made himself taking the very nature of a being humbled, even to death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him. Christians are to reject self-centeredness and work for the good of others. Submission reflects the eternal nature and character of God. Now, you may think this is a bit theological, but, but actually understanding these principles get, works itself out into the practical. We worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes? I know you know that. And God in his nature, God in his, his, uh, in his being as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is eternally bound in, in profound, deep, self-giving love. You know that. It's a wonderful thing to begin to understand. We'll always be marveling at the wonder of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in co-unity, in loving dynamic, always. But in that relationship, if you think about the father and the son, the son is begotten of the father. The son, when he was serving in in this world, he said, if you see me, you see the father. But I only do what the father is doing. What I see and hear from him, I enact. I am fulfilling the father's purposes. I uh, I am here sent by the will and purposes of God. In other words, Jesus, the eternal son, God himself, the second person, the Trinity, is submitted to the father. Father, not dominated, not kind of under an authoritarian kind of press, press down, disappointed kind of. Oh, my life is so de- dreadful. He willingly says, "My Father's will is good for me," and I submit to that wholeheartedly. In the garden, in that most profound, as we we come to the table shortly, as the as as Jesus recognized what had to happen, what he was uh, willingly choosing. He recognized the enormity of taking upon himself the sins of the world. 
being the substitute of becoming sin for us. Having known no sin at all. And in the garden at night as he prayed and as he cried out, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Submission. That Jesus was submitted to the Father. And indeed, the Spirit flows from the Father through the Son. uh, 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 That Jesus said, I will send another Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. He will teach you these ways. He will uh, continue my work. That in this wonderful dynamic of Father, Son, and Spirit, we see modeled for us in eternal uh, community in God what biblical submission looks like. Not a kind of one-upmanship of climbing who's going to be top dog, but saying, out of love I will honor, out of love I will put first the perfect will of my Father because I am the Son. And the Son loves the Father, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Son, and in all those dynamics of the Trinity, out of love flows this attitude. Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of of Christ Jesus. And as such, as part of this lordship, we worship one God, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So not only have we got this wonderful picture, this, this reality of who God is, But in Jesus Christ, we now have come to know the Father in heaven. Our Father. Our Father. That is family now. That we find our identity in him who loves us and who gave himself up in Jesus Christ for us. And has sent the Spirit to fill us and calls us into Christ. That we now are united with him in faith. And as such, being in him, this is very, very practical now. That that what then Paul talks about is family and life at home and relationships. The really matter-of-fact stuff that is going to be going on when you get home at Sunday lunch and someone's burnt the potatoes and who gets the blame. Or someone hasn't done the washing up or the bins need putting out tomorrow. Or you need to get up, it's school starting. Come on, you've had all six weeks to laze about. Oh... And my dear friends taught their daughter when she was seven this word about children. He said, fathers, don't exasperate your children. It's my goddaughter, and she learned. She said, Daddy, you're exasperating me. (laughs) With a little smug face. Our following Jesus... It's all about the places where it is most difficult to follow him. Phil and I sometimes talk about marriage and talking with those whose marriages are under strain or breaking apart. Involve yourself in children's work and youth work and phrase that comes out from children is, it's not fair. 
And don't read that verse, honor your mother and father. <laughs> and what about the toughness of work, of bosses, or bad bosses over us? That this eternal truth, this wonderful reality in Jesus Christ, it finds expression in every moment of our life. And if you're not in work and you have no parents and you're not married, this doesn't exclude you because you're here and part of a family, part of the church. The father of all, through all, and in all. So those are some big things. If I was feeling really brave, I'd now say, what questions have you got? (laughs) Because we all should have some here. I can't speak about everything in this text because there are so many aspects of it. But I'm sure you have got questions. Uh, And so um, let me just try and uh, and put a few things in, in line before we draw to the table to grace to a recognition of our need for him and the goodness of what he has done. Some people would point to one of these passages, particularly about wives and husbands, and, uh, and say, this is old-fashioned. A number of times I've conducted wedding services and people said, I'm not saying the word obey in my marriage vows. And then some people say, I really want to say obey in my marriage vows. But behind that is all this kind of thinking, what does that imply? Does it mean that I, I become dehumanized because I, I'm sitting under a domineering authority? No. I do believe uh, Paul raises up all people because Jesus does. Jesus died for all and reestablishes true humanity. That in the culture that, that Paul wrote, uh, from, uh, that, that actually the role of women was seen as inferior to men, and still shockingly is. From Aristotle onwards, men were superior. In Paul's world, in a um, a Jewish context, a women's menstrual cycle made them unclean. They were seen as uh, not reliable witnesses to anything, and were often seen as tainted and impure, and would affect a man's purity. They were less than. Lies, untruths, and Jesus confronts that and scripture unpicks those things that have been dominant in society, still are. Galatians chapter 3, there is neither male or female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Again and again in scripture we see how Jesus raises up, how Paul raises up. There are women apostles and women prophets and women teachers and women leaders. Hallelujah, that we're recovering that. I once heard a radio interview in a car a, car a couple of years. It was talking about uh, Wimbledon particularly and prize money for sport competitions between different men and women. It was Livy Purvis, who was on Women's Hour. I was driving. It's not always what I listen to, but I was driving at that point. Not a bad program, actually. And uh, they had, you know, they like to have balance and different opinions. And the, the guy on it, the man, was saying, because men are better and women aren't, they shouldn't even attempt to compete. And actually, women's sport is uninteresting. 
and thought women's sport was equivalent to Special Olympics for the disabled. I've never heard such a long pause on Radio 4 as Libby Purvis was gobsmacked. This isn't what Paul is saying. What he is saying is that there are differences in marriage roles. There are differences in gender roles. That a man and woman are not identical in the sense of uh, um, just indistinct. I mean, physically we know there's distinctions between a man and a woman. Genesis 2 uh, would talk about suitable helper and companion for man, that he is not complete until woman is alongside him. In the picture of Genesis 2, creation is not complete. It's not that man is there and it's all wonderful and, oh, an afterthought, here comes women. Not at all. In the, in the trajectory of chapter 2, creation is complete. God's fullness of creation is when man and woman are together, side by side, complementary, together, husband and wife. A picture of of God's design. He starts and says, under submitting to one another out of brethren of Christ, this is for all. But in the example of marriage, wives submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. That our submission is to the Lord and one of the examples of that is to submit to your husband. Because it comes first, we think, well, that's the first thing. But, but in this passage, uh, just note that there are, there are, there are two kind of uh, things that Paul says about the role of wives and the role of husbands. There's a few verses on the role of wives and more to husbands. That actually part of our worship is submitting to Christ to, uh, in the marital uh, relationship. But, but also, uh, the, 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 he's, he's recognizing that this probably needs more attention by the, the men than the women. That, that culturally, women understood what it means to live uh, in submission for men. And he paints the wonderful picture here of Christ who loved the church, gave himself up for her, making her holy, washing her, cleansing her with, with water through the word, presenting her radiant as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. It's not that one is focused on at the expense of the other. Both are. It's worth noting that submission does not mean that women are under the general authority of men, that this is particularly about marital relationships. King James translates well here, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, not to men in general. Obviously, we submit to one another in reverence for Christ, but it's not to say that wives just have to be dictated to by men in general, not at all. This is about marriage. Submission doesn't mean inequality. As I quoted it in verse Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. The thing about this word submission is we hear it as domination. But it's not. The father doesn't dominate the son. 
Father loves the Son. And the Son willingly, lovingly submits. This is a big ask because we have learned so many contrary ways. I told you I had a lot of notes and, and I'm just skipping through some because I could be here till two and I know you wouldn't want that. The role of husbands. He told husbands to love their wives. If you've ever traveled to other parts of the world, still this is a radical concept. Love, esteeming love, indicating a direction of will and finding one's joy in something or someone. A husband is called by God to exercise his will to love his wife. Love is not simply an emotion or a feeling. Love is a willingness to continue in devotion and goodness towards your spouse. In ancient literature, there are very few references to a husband loving his wife. Paul is being radical at this point, not misogynistic. Christian husbands are to love and give themselves for their wife in love in the same manner in which Jesus did. This is a revolutionary command. Husbands love their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, sorry, husbands should love their wives in ways that encourage holiness. The husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, taking as much care as we do for ourselves. I'm aware there's lots of questions forming in your mind. Of lots of what ifs. In my context, what does this look like? We've not even got on to children and parents. But I would encourage you to, to start to reread, if you can, to talk this through before Christ. Pray. If, as I'm sure in any relationship, there are challenges. There are, there are moments when it's difficult. There are, there are moments in our parenting and our, in our being parented by people where we, we find ourselves constrained. Or how does this work? You, you seem to be uh, domineering or, 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 or imposing something or exasperating me. Living in the light of the resurrection. Our marriages and family relationships are meant to be alive not dead. Jesus sets the standard for us and is alongside us. He offers support and loving counsel and the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. This we could work through in many, many ways. But this is part of the calling of Jesus upon us.
Not that we lie down and deny the truth, not at all. Where there is abusive relationship, where there is control and subjugation, we stand for justice. This isn't a carte blanche to say anything goes and wives just be quiet. Not at all. We've, we've talked in, in previous ser- services and, and there's material online for when things have become abusive and controlling. And of course, we support people being set free from those abusive, coercive, dangerous places. Paul is writing to us, and and we live in the context of our church where we seek to submit to one another. It's part of worship, part of reverence. We submit to God because we know that he is seeking our best, that he is good in all his ways, and, and we are not perfect. But we start from the place of making the choice to be loving, to seek the best for each other. And actually it becomes easier when we set the ground for one another to start to open up and submit towards us. It's happened with God. He has made the first move. And we are drawn to him because he is great and good. And in our profession of faith, we confess him as Lord. I pray that as you depart shortly, you won't go with a stick to, to beat your children or your spouse. Edward said, you missed the mark entirely. But to honor and seek the best for and nurture and cherish and celebrate at a Should we pray together?